Ah, well, good morning, and uh, good morning to everyone joining us online through our app or our website. This is a time when we all come together as one, and if you are new to Calvary Church, you're like, what's going on? That's kind of a little awkward. What just happened there? Uh, well, we are one church in multiple locations, so we have our Sowerton campus, we have our Quakertown campus, and then we have an increasing number of people who are joining us online through our app and our website, and so right now we're going to come together all as one church, and uh, we're looking forward to that. So we're going to kind of pause for a moment. We're going to take a break. Uh, you know, prior to Christmas, we were in a series that we called For Everyone, and we were looking at the book of Romans. And uh, what we were doing is we were looking at Romans, and it was a rich, deep explanation of the gospel. And what we learned is that the gospel is for everyone. And we're going to continue looking at Romans in a few weeks, but we're going to kind of pause before we do that. And today we're going to shift gears a little bit and go into the Old Testament. Uh, the Bible's made of two parts. It's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament's the first one. And there's a book in the Old Testament called Haggai. Haggai is a, it's a, it's a short book. It's only two chapters, and, and it's a really awesome book. And so we're going we're gonna to read that. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Haggai. If you don't know where Haggai is, that's okay, because chances are most people don't. Uh, it's not really a book that you hear people quote from. It's not really uh, a book that you hear a lot of studies on. And so if you're new to reading the Bible, you can go to the front and there's a table of contents. You can look up Haggai or you can take out your phone or your tablet, go to the Bible app, Bible Gateway app. Both have search options. You can search Haggai and look for it that way. And there's different ways you can follow along. Like I said, you can look on your phone or your tablet or you can uh, read on the screens up front. Or if you are here and you just want to look at a Bible, if you're in Calvary Church, we have Bibles here. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home. It's our gift to you. It's free. We believe that reading the Bible has the potential to impact your life, and we want you to have one. So if you don't have one, take it home. It's our gift. And if you've never read it, give us a call. We'd love to help you start reading the Bible. So give us a call sometime this week. So get to Haggai, all right? Put your finger there. And then put it aside. We're going to get to there. But before we read that, I kind of want to give you some background information about where we're at in the story. Okay? So if you're new to Calvary Church, you'll know that we look at the Bible as the story. It's not some sort of series of disconnected events or disconnected accounts. It's one story. It's God's story. It's the story. And the pinnacle of that story is Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. And so here's how the story goes. Here's where we're at in the story. At the beginning, in Act 1, God creates. God creates everything, and it's good. But in a short while, our first ancestors reject God, and they sin. And the consequence of that sin is that they are separated from God, and that there is death, and that they can no longer be with God, and there's nothing they can do to get back to him. So we move into Act 3, where God makes promises that he will create a way to reclaim those people back, to reclaim his people back, so that we can be with him again. And those promises are fulfilled in Act 4, where God appears, where Jesus is born, and Jesus lives a life. He dies on a cross to pay the penalty for you and me to satisfy that cost and fulfill those promises so that we can be once again with God, He's put in a tomb and then three days later walks out eternally victorious, springboarding us into Act 4, where we actually live in Act 4 right now. It's the time where God sends, where we're to go and make disciples, where God sends, where we're to continue what Jesus started. 
As we look forward to Acts 6, where God will restore everything, where Jesus will come back and restore everything and make everything good again. Now, Haggai is found in that third act of God promises. And that third act is mostly about the people of Israel. And so if you want to kind of study all of their history and all that, you can read the books in the Old Testament. You can read all the Bible there. But kind of brief here, here's the thing with, with people of Israel. God loves the people of Israel. They love God, but they can't go back and forth. They're, they're with God, then they turn their back on God. They're with God, they turn their back on God. They have a king, and then they have multiple kings, and some of the kings are good, some of the kings are bad. And ultimately, it gets to the point where God allows this other country, this, this people of Babylon, the Babylonians, to come and conquer his people. And they destroy the city, they destroy God's temple, they destroy the people. <clears throat> and what they do is they take some of them, they take the, the nobles, the people of influence, they take them and they take them into exile back to Babylon. And they're there for, for, for many years and what happens is that Babylon is conquered by the kingdom of Persia. And the Persian king allows the people to go back from exile to their land. And so they return, but their land is in ruins, it is destroyed, and they've got to rebuild. And this is where we find Haggai. And so if you looked at Haggai, we're going to be looking at chapter 1. And so our first look into this book, we're only going to look at verses 1 to 4. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? We're going to stop for a second. You can, don't put it away because we're going to go back to it. So just kind of put it aside for a little bit. And, and here's the deal. Haggai's only two chapters, but it's, it's a rich book. There's so much in it, and we can't cover it all in one day. And so we're only going to look at, at chapter one today. And we're going to pull out three themes from chapter one. And the first theme that we're going to pull out centers around the concept of Agenda. Agenda. What is going on? What's the problem so far? Well, the problem is this. God's house, his temple, is still in ruins. That's only part of the problem. See, God's house is in ruins, but the people are rebuilding the city. Not only are they rebuilding the city, they're rebuilding their homes, but they haven't kind of just rebuild some structures so that they can live in them, what they've done is they've set their own agenda and they've started to completely custom build and HDTV these homes. I mean, <clears throat> the description of paneled houses is actually a condemning description. There's a description of luxury in that term, paneled houses. And so not only have they rebuilt their homes, but they have remodeled the kitchen and redone the living room and put in new cabinets and, and really have invested in their homes. And none of those things are bad, 
But they're ignoring something over here. And, and it's not like they've rejected God, per se. It's not like they've outright kind of turned their backs on God. But God becomes just sort of an add-on. Sort of something that they can rationalize away. They see this need, this need that God has presented in front of them, and yet they rationalize it away and almost spiritualize it as they work on their own agenda. It's almost like they, they, when they say, well, it's not quite the time yet. It's almost like they're saying, well, God hasn't really called me to do that yet. I, I recognize the need, but I'm waiting on God's calling. And then that calling, that kind of terminology is something that church people say sometimes, and I'm not sure that we say it the right way. You know, we kind of do that sometimes. We're like, I'm just kind of waiting on God's leading. God's calling. I know I'm supposed to continue what Jesus started, but what I do, I, I, need, I need to wait on God's calling to, so I know what to do with that. And all the while I can work on my own agenda. And so the problem is, the problem with that is this. I didn't wait on God's calling when I decided to wear this shirt today. Some of you look at me and I'm like, mm, but you should have. I didn't wait on God's calling when I decided to go see Aquaman at the movie tavern this past week. When it comes to my own desires, my own agenda, somehow I don't need to wait on God's leading or his calling. But when it comes to God's desires and his agenda, all of a sudden we put the brakes on. I'm like, wait. I'm not sure if that's what he's calling me to do. I gotta wait. Need his clear leading. Something wrong with that. Because here's the deal it doesn't matter where I'm going as long as I'm focused on the one who's leading. If I'm focused on the one who's leading, if I'm focused on God, if my central focus is always on God, then his agenda is where I am walking. It doesn't matter where I'm walking as long as I'm focused on the one who's leading. And so the people were kind of living out their own agenda. They were rebuilding the city. They were rebuilding their homes, but they were neglecting God. He was put to the side. They weren't rejecting him. It was kind of an undercurrent thing. It was just kind of this, he's an add-on. He's there. We acknowledge he's there, but he's easily ignored. So they live out their own agenda. But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. Who gave them that right? Who gave them the right to set the agenda? They don't have the authority to set the agenda. God, we just said, he created everything. God, all-powerful, almighty, he creates the agenda. He's the one who has the authority to create the agenda. He's the one who has the authority to say what needs to happen. And yet they're living like they're the ones in authority. So God comes in and he gives them another message. And in this message, he establishes the truth. The truth of, no, you think you have authority. You think you're in control, but you're not. You're not. Let's look at verse 5. 
Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labors of your hands. God, in these verses, in this message, establishes that he is the authority. And as he establishes authority, he reveals that there are two results that happen when we try to live according to our own agenda instead of his. When we try to not acknowledge his authority and live as if we have the authority, two results happen. The first is this. We have this illusion of control. Because here the people, they are working, they're building, they're working on their houses, they are sowing the seeds, they're trying to harvest, they're doing all these things. And all of these efforts, all of these things keep coming. They're adding them up. Here they go. And then God just comes and blows it away. They're working hard. They're working hard. And then God just blows it away. He's like, you're not in control. All of your efforts, all these things that you can puff out your chest and say, look at what I've done. That is nothing in comparison to who I am. I have the authority. I am in control, and I just blow it away. I live with an illusion of control, but even more troubling than that, as they live with this illusion of control, their hearts arrive at a destination that they weren't expecting. You see, they were trying, they were trying, they were trying, and they were rejecting his authority, they were rejecting his authority. But there was no satisfaction. There was no satisfaction. I mean, look at verse 5. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I mean, when I read that verse, like it struck me because it hit a little bit too close to home. It hit a little bit too close to home. You know, I try to do this, but somehow it's just not enough. So I I try to get this, but somehow I can't get ahead. I try to do this, but somehow the account keeps getting lower and lower. I try to do this and this and this, but somehow it's just not enough. I live according to my own agenda, rejecting God's authority. Not outwardly, but just kind of underneath. But it's not enough. It's never enough. Now, I've admitted this to you guys before, and I'll have to admit it again, but I like musicals. That was polite. That was a polite chuckle. Thank you. See, Charles makes fun of me. He says, you know what, musicals, man, that's because he's not cultured. 
But I like musicals, right? And the reason I like musicals is this, because I like stories. And there's something powerful when story and music collide. There's something about a lyrics to a song. There's a message that can be conveyed in a lyric to a song in just a few lines that take pages and pages and pages of writing in a book to convey. But a song conveys it in a much more powerful way. And there was a musical that was a movie that came out, you know, not too long ago. It was called The Greatest Showman. Some of you saw it, some of you didn't. Some of you are judging me. Um, and so it was, a, it was a musical about the life of P.T. Barnum. And there's a character in that musical that sings a song. Listen to the lyrics of this song. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it will never be enough. Never be enough for me. Right? And when you look at that, you're kind of like, oh, like, isn't that what's going on with the people here? And then when I look at it, I'm like, wow, that, that, that lady has problems. I mean, she's kind of like a little bit of a narcissist, right? Like, oh, it's never enough. Look, I have the whole world. Everything is good. But this is not enough. Kind of judged her a little bit. I have to be honest. She was fictional, and I kind of judged her. The reason that I did was because I didn't realize the real message of that song. It wasn't until I looked up the lyrics to this song the other day that I saw the truth of that song. And I have to admit, I completely missed it. I mean, it was kind of implied if you watched the movie, but... I missed this truth in this song. You see, the lines right before the lines I just read to you are this. Take my hand. Will you share this with me? Because, darling, without you, that's when it goes into, it will never be enough. Without you. I could have all of this, but without you, it will never be enough. That changes the song completely. This is not a heart cry about stuff. This is a heart cry about someone. The song isn't about the absence of things. It's about the absence of a relationship. And that's what's going on in Haggai chapter 1. The key to all of this, the key to God's declaration is relationship. And God goes forward in, in chapter 2 and he establishes his authority in a much more grander picture. And, 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 he, and he announces that he is the one with all of this authority. But in chapter 2, he gives a description of why he's doing what he's doing. Right? Because you kind of you look at the, the description we just read, you kind of look at it and you're like, wow, God, that's a little harsh, man. I mean, they just didn't build the temple. I mean, you didn't have to put them in drought. You didn't have to blow away all their stuff. And like, it just kind of feels a little, oh, if I don't do what God says, then I'm going to be punished. That's, you know, that's what we kind of do. We make God into this big, mean person. But that's not what is going on. It's all about relationship. Haggai 2, verse 17 says this. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, 
and hail. All the stuff we just read, all of that drought, all that stuff, he, he just sums it up. I struck all the works, everything you were trying, all of your agendas, I struck it down with blight, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not return to me. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. The point of everything that we just read, the point of everything that God do, the point of God stripping away their agendas, the point of God declaring his authority was for them to return to him. God's authority, God's declaration of authority is not one of ego. It's one of love. It's one of love. And God is stripping apart their agenda. He's stripping apart everything in order for them to realize that they need to come back to him. That no matter what it is that they're searching for, no matter what it is that they're building, no matter what crops they're doing, no matter what it is we are searching for, no matter what it is, it will never be enough without him. And yet, I don't kind of live that way all the time, right? I look to my own agenda. I look to my own agenda to satisfy that need. I look to my own agenda and I'm like, if I could just get that one position, that one promotion, if I could get to that one part in the organization, then somehow I'll feel validated. Like my existence will somehow have worth if I could just get to that part. Or if I could get that certain income, maybe I could get that house that I want. Or maybe I could get that car that I want. Or maybe I could just get that comfort level that I want. Somehow if I get those things, I'll have comfort, I'll have peace, I'll have joy. Or maybe if I could have that relationship, maybe if I got married to that one person, maybe if I got that relationship with that one person, or maybe I need to end this relationship with that one person, I need a relationship status. Some sort of thing has to happen. If I look for that, maybe if that happens, I'll have some sort of satisfaction. But the truth of the matter is, it won't satisfy. It will not be enough. There will always be something else that we strive for, something else that we claw at, trying to get to fill that void. Unless we lay aside our agenda and follow the one who's leading and realize it's not about something, it's about someone. And all the while, God is there. He's doing everything to get our attention. Everything that we get mad at him for, everything that we get upset at him for, he's just there trying to get our attention. He's like, I'm right here. Return to me. Return to me. What you're looking for, that agenda, it will fail. Return to me. And I love the book of Haggai because of that. I love the book of Haggai because God gets the people's attention. And what I love about Haggai is this. The people listen. They respond. They actually repent. They actually do what God is asking them to do. And you know what I love about it? They do it horribly. They screw up. They mess up. And God has to come again back to them and said, all right, here's another message. You tried, but here's another message. And then they screw up again. There's four times God has to come to them. And it's this relentless pursuit of, they're, 
not rejecting God, but they're not making him the priority. And they, it's just kind of an add-on, but they listen and not fully. And then it's back and forth, back and forth. And then God is constantly coming to them. And he's saying, lay aside your agenda. Take up my agenda. Because I'm the one with authority. And then God gives them a powerful assurance. A powerful assurance. See, at the end of chapter 1, we read about how the people listen to God and they begin to work on the temple. And then we get... A message from God is a short message, but it is one of the most powerful messages of assurance that you could ever have. And it's only four words. It's only four words. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheotiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord God, their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to his people. This is the message. Ready? I am with you. That's it. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people that came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. What was the message of assurance? What were the four words? It was simply, I am with you. I am here. I am present. I am with you. Why can you set aside your agenda for mine? Why can you come under my authority? Because I am with you. And the question is, because God is proclaiming that he is with us. I am with you. I love you. I am with you. There's this, this deafening cry by God. question is, am I with him? Am I with him? My daughters and I, we do this thing when we walk together sometimes, and sometimes we'll hold hands as we're walking, whether it's in the parking lot or in the park or something like that, and we'll hold hands. And if we're holding hands, someone will send a message to the other person by squeezing their hand. Three squeezes. I love you. Three squeezes. And then a moment will go by, not a long moment, but the person who received the message gives the message back. Four squeezes. I love you too. You know, when I am walking with my daughters and I squeeze their hand three times and I tell them that I love them, it feels good. Feels good to tell my daughters that I love them. But when they squeeze my hand back, when those four squeezes come and they say, I love you too, man, that's amazing. God is saying, I am with you. God proclaims that He loves you. 
what is my response back? Because, man, it feels good for God to say that. But you know what? I kind of believe that it feels awesome to God when we say back, I love you too. I am with you too. But how do we do that? How, how do we say that to God? How do we say to God, I love you too. I am with you too. Well, let's look at Haggai. What happens in Haggai? God declares his authority. All authority is God's. He gives a command. And then he gives assurance that he is with his people. He is with the people he commanded. He says, I am with you. All authority gives a command, I am with you. Does that sound familiar at all? If it doesn't, it's okay. But if it does, here's where it's from. Jesus said it. Jesus said the same thing. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority is Jesus's. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. There's the command, and here is the assurance. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always. Always. In the good times, in the bad times, in the in-between times, even when it feels like he's not there, I am with you always. So what is our response to be? We are to continue what Jesus started. We are to obey his command, live under his authority, with the assurance that he is with us always. Always. And you know what? That's hard to do. It's hard to do. Sometimes it costs things. Sometimes it requires us to set aside our agendas and make sure that we are living under the agenda of Jesus. Sometimes we need to stop pursuing our own agendas and start pursuing others for Jesus. Sometimes it requires sacrifice. Sometimes it requires surrendering everything. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes there's heartbreak. So to recognize the authority of Jesus, surrender our agenda and live under his agenda, following his command, continue what Jesus started, can only be done if you understand the truth of the promise that he gave when he said, I am with you always. Always. The people of Haggai had to surrender their agenda for God's agenda. They had to acknowledge that God was the one in authority, not them. And their hearts were secure because of the assurance of God's promise when he said, I am with you. Calvary Church, let's surrender our agendas for the agenda of Jesus Let's live out his command and go 
and continue what he started, resting secure in the promise that he gave us when he said, I am with you always. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for loving us so much. And God, the truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of times that I'm really happy for that message of love. I'm really happy to receive it. But I don't often respond enough and tell you back, I love you too. God, allow us to live in the peace and security of the assurance we have that you are with us always. Allow us to be willing to sacrifice our agendas and take up your agenda. Allow us to stop pursuing all of these things and start pursuing others for you. Allow us just to rest in the fact that you are all that we need. Just be with us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.